Good morning. Today's daf is daf Kuftes Zayin, 116. I'm going to go from the second last line of Kuftes Vav Amud Beis, 115b. Um, today's shir is uh, for Le'ilu Nishmas Basia Ben Eliyahu and Shaga Faival Ben Baruch, and may their memory be a blessing. It's also for Fuah Shleima of. Uh, Liron uh, Ben Liat and all the other, the rest of the community. Who, there are quite a few people who are are not well. So may the merit of the Shir be a refuah for them. Um, so we mentioned we were discussing what scroll, what you're allowed to save from a fire on Shabbos. We were discussing it specifically in regards to Kitzvah Kodesh Tanach. And remember, we extended, we said nowadays that we were allowed to write down the oral Torah that would include uh, Gomorrah's uh, Sidurim and all other, let's call them Torah books. You would also be allowed to save those from a fire. Um, the um, with that, we mentioned the minimum, we're discussing like the minimum size, the minimum number of letters left in a Torah that it has Kedusha. So we said that's the same number of letters as Vayehi bin Sa'aron, Vayom um, Moshe, etc. And now um, we're going to discuss, so if as long as the Sefer Torah has 85 letters, then you would still be allowed to save it. So once we mentioned Vayehi bin Sa'aron, the Gemara says, second last line, Taner Abonin, Vayehi bin Sa'aron, Vayom Moshe, the parasha of when the Aaron would start to journey and Moshe would say, etc. Parasha Zu Osala HaKadosh Baruch there's a sign at the beginning and the sign at the end. I meant to uh, get a picture of it, but it's basically an upside down nun. In in the Chumah, in the Sefer Torah, if you look by Yehivim Saron, there's an upside down uh, nun on either side, kind of like bracketing this parsha of Yehivim Saron. Now, why why are there those simanim? So he says, Loimar to tell us that this is not the correct place for this parsha. And uh, the Gemara says, Rebbe, I will discuss that shortly. That's not the right reason. Because it's, so, it's considered its own safer. Right, so we have a Machloikes here. We have this. Um, morning, Dennis. Good to see you. Um, we have this machloikas tanaim. Why is the why are there these nun, these upside down nuns, around the paragraph the pasuk of Yehibin Saron? So the first reason is because this is not the correct place. It says where should it be written? So Yehibin um, Saron is in Perak Yud of Bamidbar. It should be written in Perak Beis of Bamidbar, where it discusses the encampment of Bnei Israel and the order that they used to travel in. I don't know if you remember the Degolim, the different flags, the three, how the tribes were split into three groups, and first the tribe of Yehuda would walk, and then the Levim, etc., and when it moved. So it should have mentioned it there. And since it's out of place, we'll see shortly in the Gemara why it's out of place. Since it's out of place, it is... Uh, Um, they mark it off with the nuns. And then Rebbe says, no, it's in the right place. Because this is actually the first journey. If you look at the beginning of this Perek, it mentions that um, Bnei Israel started to travel from Harsinai. 
Oh, so now that they're starting to travel from Harsina, it's the first time that they have the Aaron with them, so it mentions this Pasuk. So it's in the right place. And now says, Come on, Oslohod, Omer Rabbi Shmuel Banach, Banachman, Omer Rabbi Yonasan. Who's this that Rabbi Shmuel Banachman said in the name of Rabbi Yonasan, or Rabbi Nachmani? Chatzva Amuda Shiva. It carved its. It, um, we are wisdom is carved out of seven pillars. He says, Elu Shiva Sifrei Torah. This is like the seven books of the Sefer Torah. Command Karebi. This must be in line with Rebi. Because um, what the seven books of the, of the Torah, so there's Bereshish Shmos, Vayikra, first part of Bamidbar, Vayihi bin Tzaron, second part of Bamidbar and Devorib. That's your seven uh, Sifrei of the Torah. So that's this uh, Brysa that wisdom is seven. Referring to the seven books of the Torah, that's like Rebbe. Man Tana the Polygolel the Rebbe. Who's the Tana who argues on Rebbe? So now according to Rebbe, um, the, it's in the right place and it's just so Choshuv that it's signaled that, it, that they're the Simanim to us. But who's the other Tanya? Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. He the Tanya as we learned in our brayer. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. Rabbi Shimon Ben Gamliel says, "Ati the parsha zu shetel kor mikan v'tirta bemkoima." In the future, this parsha will be taken out from its place and returned to its correct place. Ulamak kosvan kans velamak kosvan kans. So why did they write it here? If it's supposed to be at the beginning, towards the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar, why is he been so wrong? Written here. Since kedai lahapsek ben puranius rishona. To, dis, to separate between two different calamities. If you look in the parish of Bamidbar and Puranishnia Mahi, what's the second Puranya? So that's straight after it says Vayihi bin Saharan and it mentions Vayihi Am Kamisoinim. The people were complaining and a fire, a fire came down and burned some of them. There's a lot of um, Puranius Rishoina and what's the Puranius Rishayna, Vayusumai Har Hashem, they journeyed from the mountain of Hashem, and they left Har Sinai. Vayomer Bichamah Ben Brichanina, Shesoru Me'achrei Hashem, they turned away from Hashem. Vayichan Mekoyme, where should it be written? So, Omer Ravashi, but the Golim, it should be written, as I mentioned earlier, by the Golim. Basically, there's a concept that in this world, and this time, a lot of the troubles that we have is because of the sins of the Jews in the desert. That was almost a prototype for the worlds that we've got to go through and correct throughout our history. So if it would be a very bad lot on the Jews, if you listed one, panic, one calamity after the next. Obviously some are listed together, but to break them up, um, to break them up, uh, And to break it up, they put the parish of Ahib and Sairon in the middle, so that you're not just reading a whole long list of Puran, of Puraniot of calamities. And um, interestingly enough, Tzemachloike uh, Rashi tells us exactly what the first one is referring to, that they turned away from Hashem. But Tosos say there's a Midrash that B'nai Yisrael, it says, what is it, Vayisu Mehar Sinai means, and they turned away from Hashem. They ran away from Har Sinai like school children getting out of class. And they'd been learned so much, it had been so sure they just couldn't wait to get away from there and they ran away. They shouldn't have uh, had that attitude. They had just received the Torah. They shouldn't have viewed it as something like school children running away from class. And that's the first calamity. And then again, the calamity afterwards is that they started complaining and a fire came down and burned some of them, etc. Now, 
Yeah. Interesting, Rabbeinu Bachi says, so why are they nuns? Why are these signs that we put around, it's upside down nuns, that we put around the the parish of Ahib in Tzaron? He says, because it's fifth, nun is 50, and it's 50 paragraphs out of place. Since if you count the number of paragraphs, you'll end up with 50, and therefore it's out of place, 50, and therefore these nuns are to remind us of its original place. One interest, um, two interesting points you think about. Okay, so firstly, according to the other opinion, what's the significance of nuns? Obviously, there's a lot more to discuss. You know, my father's given some uh, whole shirim on the placement of Ayyib in Tzaron. Um, but a very interesting um, point to think about is what do we mean that in the future it will be back in its place? And obviously, so in the times of Mashiach, there's not the concern the Yitzhahara would have been destroyed. And there isn't this concern of uh, Puronios bringing about a bad reflection of B'nai Israel anymore. And therefore we can put Vayahib in Sairon back in its place and leave the Torah as it is. But will the Torah really change in the time of Moshiach? How can we, the Torah is eternal. How can it just come along and change at a later stage? Okay, so that's something to think about. Carrying on... Um, now we're going back to our discussion of what you can say from the Sefer Torah. It says, If the parchment, the blank spaces, the part above the text, the paragraphs, the between the columns, etc., where text has been erased from a Sefer Torah, do you save those blank parchment, those parts of the, the blank parts of the parchment from a fire on Shabbos? So Toshma, I mean, you say for Torah Shabbala, you say for Torah that's worn away. In Yeshbala, like H1 in Machamish, also you can go on Pashas, where he been Saron Matzilin, the Imlav A Matzilin. If you can collect 85 letters, like the number of letters in the Pasha of Ahibin Saron, then you would save it, and if not, you would not save it. But am I? Why should you save it? Tape book, lay me some Gillian today. It shouldn't need, sorry, it shouldn't need 85 letters to save it. You should have to save it because of the blank parchment. Must be, you don't have to save, must be, you don't save a Sefer Torah for the blank parchment. So the Gemara says, no, Bola Shiny, if it gets worn out, it's different. Because a worn out Sefer Torah has lost that Kedusha, that high level of Kedusha, that, that you would be obligated to save it from, uh, and even the blank spaces have lost their Kedusha of a Sefer Torah, that you would have to save, that you'd be allowed to save it from a fire. So Toshma come in here. So find another another price Sefer Torah Shenimchak. If you have a Sefer Torah that letters were erased and the parchment hasn't started to wear away, it's not like the whole Sefer Torah has started to wear away and now and that's why you don't save it like the previous price. So this one, the parchment's still there, but the letters were erased. If you can collect eighty-five letters together, the minimum amount to save that. Makes a Sefer Torah still Kadosh, then you would save it, and if not, you don't save it. But my type claim is from Gilead Didah. But why should it make a difference whether they're 85 letters or not? You should have to save it because of the parchment. Must be. You don't save a Sefer Torah because of the parchment. So Moses says, No, I'm not asking about where the, where the writing was. The parchment where the writing was is not my question. The key Kadosh, I got. Because what makes that part of the parchment kadosh? The writing. 
Therefore, if the writing is gone, the Kedusha is gone. What's my question? Above the columns and below the columns. You know, when you look at the Sefer Torah where the columns end, there's always a space at the top and the bottom. Um, it's actually learned out in the Gemara how that you must leave those spaces. Parsha between different paragraphs. between the columns. and at the beginning of the Sefer Torah and at the end of the Sefer Torah, like the part that you would attach to the pole. That's okay. So it says that's my my question is specifically these blank spaces. Obviously, the part of the parchment which is where the writing was, is only Kadosh because the writing is there. But the part of the parchment that's meant to remain blank, is it independently Kadosh or not? So he says, um, so it says over table claim, so we can use the previous pricer to answer that question. The previous pricer says if you have a Sefer Torah that has no letters, if it has 85 letters, you're obligated to save it. But what about the blank spaces? Aren't they still Kadosh? So we see that the blank spaces are not Kadosh. So the one says, no, the guy is, the guy is Vashadi. You can't answer from there because it could be that all the margins were cut out and thrown away. Right, so we're basically discussing the Sefer Torah, which only had the parchment which had writing on. So again, it's obvious to him that where the, where the parchment has writing on, even if that, when that writing is gone, that parchment loses its Kedusha. Because it's Kodosh as a result of the writing. But the blank parts of the parchment that are supposed to be blank, Maybe they're Kodosh even without writing. So, Kodosh man, come in here. I'll try to bring another proof. All these blank parts of the parchment above the column and below the column, between the columns, between the parishes at the beginning and the end of the Sefer Torah. They make your hands tome. Dilma, someone says, no, Dilma, I got Sefer Torah. Shiny, no, maybe they're different while they're still connected to a Sefer Torah. Remember, we learned towards the beginning of the Masechta, why does, why does a Sefer Torah make your hands tome? Isn't it so holy? So you're right. But people used to store their truma with their Sefer Torah. Or the other way around, their Sefer Torah with their truma, because they said the Sefer Torah is Kodosh, the truma is Kodosh, therefore we keep them together. But what happens when you keep your Sefer Torah in your grocery cupboard? Well, it attracts rodents. Rodents go to your grocery cupboard, mass and stuff, so they also, it was more likely that they would also eat away and damage your Sefer Torah. So they made a Xera that the Sefer Torah transmits Tuma, and therefore people wouldn't keep it with their Truma, and it was less likely to be damaged by rodents. Um, but maybe, so you might have, but the fact that the blank parchment also transfers Tuma, maybe the, we see that the blank parchment is independently Kadosh, he says, no, you can't really answer it today because that's when it's connected to the writing. So we view it all as one unit. So he said, Toshma, let's try to bring another proof. Hagil Yoinim, the blank parchment. Vesifrei Minim, and the books of heretics. I Tanakh that has been written by heretics. You're not allowed to save them from the fire. Elon Israfim, Bimkoimim, you leave them to be burnt in that place, them and Hashem's name. So if you had a heretic, a person who knew about Hashem and he denies Hashem and then for whatever reason he wrote a Sefer Torah, we'll see maybe towards the bottom of that certain reasons why they would write a Sefer Torah, but he wrote a Sefer Torah um, to, uh, um, his, uh, even though it has Hashem's name and it looks exactly like a kosher Sefer Torah, it's not Kodosh and you leave it to burn. 
says, but what do we see? We said the gilyonim, blank parchments, and the sefer minim. My love, gilyonim, the sefer Torah. We see it must be referring to the blank parts of the sefer Torah, and we see that you leave it to burn. So it's like gilyonim, the sefer minim, it's referring to the blank parchment of the Tanakhs written by these heretics. Oh, hash the sifrei minim gufai hu ein meitzilim gilyonim mi boy. But now that you're telling me that you don't save the the actual tan, part of the the Tanakh written by the um, heretic, you're going to tell me you. Why do I need you to tell me that you also don't save the blank parchment that's left the spaces above and below, etc.? Obviously, you don't. If you don't save the actual writing, you definitely don't save the blank parchment. So the Gemara answers, no, Hachi This is how you read that brisa. The sifrei minim harei hain kegil yoinim. You view the sifrei minim like blank parchment. Ah, you have uh, pieces of parchment ready to write on, and they left chas v'sholem in someone's house, and that the house is burning down. You're not allowed to save that blank parchment on Shabbos, and that's what how you view the sifrei minim. Okay, we don't actually answer our question, but now we go back and discuss this the, the uh, a point on the sifrei minim gufa. Um, blank parchments and the sifrei minim, which we meant sifrei minim, which are like blank parchments, you don't save them from a fire. Rabbi Yosi Omer Bechol, if it's during the week, you cut out the names of Hashem and you bury those, and then you go and burn the rest of the Tanah, the rest of the Sefer. I swear by the life of my sons that if they, one of these forim come into my hands, I will bury, I will burn the book with Hashem's name. And yeah, so he says, no, the names of Hashem, no part of that Sefer, of that Tanakh. Even though it looks the exact same as your Chumash in Shul. They've written it perfectly. Since it was written by a heretic, you burn the whole Sefer Torah. The whole Sefer Tanah. Um, he says, even if I was being chased by someone trying to kill me, or by a snake trying to kill me, trying to bite me, I would rather run into a house of Avodah Zorah than run into one of the houses of these minim, of these heretics. It says, why? Because they recognize Hashem and they deny Him. And the Avodah Zorah don't recognize Hashem and deny Him. They just practice the Avodah Zorah out of, uh, what's it? Habit. That's what they learned at home. This is what you do. But the minim, the heretics, they know about Hashem and they choose to reject Him. They know about the covenant of Hashem and that's why they so much worse. And regarding them, the Apostlech says, You placed the memory of Hashem, you discarded the memory of Hashem behind the door. You actively chose to ignore Hashem. So that's Rebbe, um, Rebbe Tarfum feels very strongly about the Sifra Minim, that you burn them. And the danger, a Min is in a way more dangerous than a regular Ovda Avodah Ovda that's his practices, that's what he's brought up, that's what he's been doing in his family for the last good few hundred years. This Min, he knew about Hashem and he chose to reject him. I think often when we refer to a Min in his context, we're referring to a Jew who 
um, decided to become an apostate. But that's, uh, that's the danger of him. And his forum written by him, you would definitely burn. Omar Rabbi Shmuel, Kaval Chomer, it's a Kaval Chomer, Omala, so Shalom Bein Ishli Ishto Omra Torah Shmi, Nikta Bektoshi Yimchalamayim. If my name, which was my name, to, sorry, to make peace between man and his wife, the Torah says you can erase my name. We know by the Parish of the Sota, one the final test that you go do to her is you write the paragraph of the Sota on parchment and you dissolve it and it has Hashem's name on it and you dissolve it in water it's generally a neg- you're generally not allowed to erase Hashem's name but here for the sake of peace between man and his wife you're allowed to burn Hashem's you're allowed to um, erase Hashem's name hallelujah well these men these heretics sachrus that place uh, jealousy hatred and conflict bane Yisrael avim shem between the Jews and their Father in Heaven, Al-Achaz, Kama how much more so you have to burn them. Vailem, Omar, David, and regarding them, David said, Haloi misanecho Hashem, Esno, those that hate you, Hashem, I hate them. Uviskoi memecho eskotetem, when they stand up against you, I fight against them. Tachli sinus inesim, loivim hoyuli, the most um, pure hatred, I hate them. Like, and they are enemies to me. And just as you wouldn't save them from a fire, you don't save them from a, a wall falling over them, from being buried um, under something, and nor from water or anything that would destroy them. Okay, so that's a very interesting price of how you treat these heritage. I remember when I was younger, I don't know why someone gave my father a box of books. I think, uh, I think they assumed he was a rabbi and some of the books had Hebrew in, so they gave him a box of books. And when he looked at them, he said, no, they were, I think they were like some missionary books and things like that. And he said, we're burning these, uh, we're going to burn these. I mean, it was super exciting as a young boy, the opportunity to, uh, burn, to burn books. <laughs> But that's uh, that's this prince, this halacha. That's for him written by minim. Even if they have Hashem's name, you burn them. Um, yeah. An interesting discussion. Don't want to go into it now. Is how do we view books, printed books? I mean, the machine that prints them doesn't really have a das. But maybe you go after the publishers. What happens if the publishers is uh, I don't know. Uh, Non, uh, uh, non, uh, non-Jewish publishing press. Do the books get kedusha? Do the Gemaras, the Chumashim, whatever you're using, do they get kedusha? So that's uh, um, in, in its own right. Do books that are printed get kedusha? And what about books printed by uh, heretics? Again, not written by them, but printed. The books of the Vey Avim. So Sifrei, again, remember Sifrei means Tanakh. They used to write them as, like we call a a Sefer Torah, they used to write their Tanakhs like that on scroll with the correct uh, um, font, Ashuris, like like our Sefer Torah. So if they're from the Vey Avidon, do you save them because of, from fire or not? Now, the the, Vey Avidon was some sort of library where they can collected a whole lot of Sifrei Chochmah, works of wisdom. Um, the Tanakh, probably the Christian one, the Muslim one, they had a, all the uh,
books of wisdom they collected. They're kind of like a library. And uh, so, uh, scholars would go there and read them and discuss and debate them. And then they also used it as an opportunity to uh, learn, as we'll see, to read them, learn them, to uh, debate and harass Jews with them. Um, sadly enough, I don't know how we, nowadays, but if you read in our history, a lot of the... Um, the, a lot of Christians, uh, priests, and especially higher up, were knew Tanakh inside out, and they knew the Talmud inside out. I mean, their whole motivation to learn it was to show how evil the Jews were and to disprove Jews and defeat them in uh, debates. But they were experts, if you can use that word, in Tanakh and often even Talmud. So that's I think that's this Devei Avidon was that sort was a library. A, a place where they would, um, I think it was a specific one called the Vayavidun, but it was this place like a library where they had all these books gathered. So the Tanakh and stuff in that library, do you um, destroy? If you save it from a fire, if it's going to be burned? It seems, I don't understand Rashi, but at least from the Rach, it seems the ease of that, we're not sure, was it written by a Jew and they either found it or stole it or bought it? But they have this Tanakh that's 100% kosher Tanakh written by Jew. Or was it written by a heretic? You don't know where they get their books from for this Devei Avidan. So do you save it from the fire or not? So in Velavirafi Yare, sometimes he said yes, sometimes no, he just wasn't too sure. <laughs> yes, no, not too clear. He wasn't sure what to do. Then regarding this Devei Avidan, Rav wouldn't go to Bay Avidan and definitely not to Lebein Itzarfi. Avidan was this more, I think theoretically they tried to make it quite, it sounds like they try to be quite academic. You know, don't worry, we're pure, we're just there to discuss and debate, we're not, uh, but they were, they, as we'll see, they used to, if they got an opportunity, they would kill Jews who argued with them, who they weren't able to convince of their ways. And Bein Itzarfi was an was a place of Avodah Zorah. Shmuel, the Bein Atzarfi Shmuel wouldn't go to Bein Atzarfi again because Avodah Zorah and they would try to kill him if he didn't listen to them. But Levayavidon, Ozil, but Shmuel was fine with going to Bayavidon. Omelayla Rava, the scholars of Bayavidon said to Rava, my tabelo asis, Levayavidon, why do you never come here? It's an amazing resource. We have a wonderful library. We have scholars to debate things with. Why don't you come? So Omer Luhu, Dikla Panya Ikabukashari. Now there's the road to get you, there's this palm tree, and it's too difficult to get you. He says, Okay, so we'll uproot it for you so you can get you easily. He says, Ah, then it will be uh, the ground will be uneven, there'll be all potholes in the road, and I can't get you. So he but he basically dismissed them, he didn't want to go. He says, Ma bari Yosef, says, I'm friends with them. They're my friends, therefore I don't have to be afraid and I can go there. but one one time he went there and they tried to endanger his life. So um Yeah. So that's uh, that's the uh, discussion. Once we've come onto this forum of Minim, we come onto this forum of Tevei Abidon, and now we mentioned in this discussion that there were these uh, scholars. I don't know what to call them. These her- heretical scholars who used to hang around Tevei Abidon, debating uh, different, uh, um, I guess, different uh, what's it, theological discussions, etc. Um, and it seems not, it's not so clear from our Gomorrah, but we'll see over the page a bit more, that there's a good chance actually referring to 
Christian scholars, like missionaries and stuff. Um, you'll see why I say that shortly. But Eimer Shalom to Visayu de Rabbi Eliezer. Eimer Shalom, or Ima Shalom. Remember, we've seen a few times in the Gemara, um, a title of dignity given to women was called, would be Ima. They would call her Ima. So Ima Shalom, Ima Shalom, the wife of Rabbi Eliezer, Achtei de Rabon Gamliel, the sister of Rabon Gamliel. Havai, she was the sister of Rabon Gamliel. There was this philosopher who lived in their neighborhood. Okay, um, some say philosopher here means min, a heretic, a scholar, but a heretic. Others say it just meant a regular scholar, like we would call a philosopher. But, it says, but, he spread a name about himself that he was very honest and reliable and he never accepted bribes. So, boy, they wanted to mock him and show him for him true self. I oh, went around, I'm a scholar. If you have a court case, come to me. I'll adjudicate. I'm honest. You'll get this true uh, judgment. And they wanted to uh, expose him because he was actually a huge fraud. So she went and gave him a golden lamp. And then her and Rabban Gamliel went before him for a... In, in a court case. She said, I want to get a share in my father's assets. So he said, okay, so divide the assets. So Rabbi Gamliel said to him, Oh, but it says for us in our Torah that in where a son, where there's a son, a daughter does not inherit. As you know, Torah law, if there are sons, only the sons inherit, not the daughters. So Omar Galisun Mearechun from the day that the Jews were exiled, the Torah of Moshe was taken away and other books were given to them. See, I think this is very similar to Christian theology. After the Jews were exiled, Hashem turned away from them and chose a new, uh, a new, new people. And it's written in these other works. Bro that a son and daughter inherit together. So that's how he judged in favor of Ima Shalom. So, the next day, before they went to get the final verdict, Ramon Gamliel gave him a, a Chamreluva, a very special donkey. So, Omer Lehu, Shvilis Lesefer de Sifra. So, he then told them, you know what, I read to the end of the works, because of that, it's written in it, I'm not coming to take away from the Torah of Moshe or to add to the Torah of Moshe. And it's written, as we know, it's written in the Torah of Moshe, that where there's a son, a daughter doesn't inherit. So the next day, because Ramon Gamliel gave him a better bribe, he, gave, he changed his ruling to the opposite. So she said to him, your light should light up like a candle. As she's trying to remind him of the bribe that she gave him. So Omalei Rabun Gamliel, Rabun Gamliel says, Ah, oh, my donkey's kicked over your candle. Oh, he exposed him that the way he was, to everyone who was listening and everyone around, that, uh, that look, the reason that he's changing his judgment is because she gave him a candle and I gave him a donkey. So they exposed this philosopher. I heard um, from Rabbi Ari Leibovitz, why is this brought here? What's it coming to teach? So he said that it's important to note that just about anyone who's um, in pursuit of, I don't know what the word would be, spirituality or godliness, if they're coming from a place of being a heretic, 
they're never going to be objective. They're going to be corrupt and, uh, and uh, I guess, immoral. But you have to come from Torah's MS and then you'll have, um, th- those are the sort of judges you can trust to never accept a bribe, etc. Okay. Um, carrying on, um, so the Mishnah says, he said, why are you not allowed to read Ksuvim? Remember, we mentioned, you're not allowed to read Sefer Ksuvim. The, the Megillahs, Tehillim, all those things. You're not allowed to read them on, at least, go, let's go with on Shabbos, but you're not allowed to read them. And we said, because of Bittu-based Medrash. They used to, Rashi explained on the Mishnah, they used to have a public drosha every Shabbos. I mean, we have similar to this. After Shul, you have a public drosha after Shabbos. And if people were allowed to read Suvim, they'd get too involved with reading Suvim, and they wouldn't go to the drosha, which was a great opportunity for the Rav to give over and teach them the halachas of what's Osir and Mutar. And Suvim is much more exciting and enjoyable than hearing what's uh, Osir and Mutar. Mishlei Koheles, the Megillahs, Tehillim. So they would miss the drosha. So to make sure that people went to the drosha, they banned learning Suvim. So he said, so the Gemara says, Rav says, this is specific, this ban is specifically at the time of when everyone's supposed to be in the base Medrash, when everyone's supposed to be learning. But after that time, I after lunch on Shabbos, when they didn't have droshas and these things, because people would sometimes get a bit carried away in their sudas and be too drunk to learn properly, so they didn't have this session after lunch. Then you would be allowed to read in Ksuvim. And Shmuel says, no, even the whole day, even when it's not the time of the drosha, you're not allowed to read Ksuvim. You're telling me, Shmuel says, you're not allowed to. Nahardai was Shmuel's city. Shmuel was the the head of Nahardai. They used to give droshas or. Um, Conclude the drosha with Suvim in the afternoon of Shabbos. So how can Shmuel come? We just said Shmuel came along and said you can never read Suvim the whole day. But now we know that in Shmuel's shul, in Shmuel's yeshiva, they used to read Suvim later in the afternoon. And when it wasn't the time of the drosha. Say, hello, itmar, hachi itmar. If, if the discussion happened, this is what it... If this is how the discussion must have gone. You're only not allowed to read Ksuvim by the base Midrash because you should be going to the Drosha. But if you're not in the base of Midrash, then you can read Ksuvim. So it doesn't matter whether you're in the base Midrash or you're outside the base Midrash. You're not allowed to learn Ksuvim at the time of the Drosha, but after the time of the Drosha, you are allowed to learn Ksuvim. Right? So Shabbos afternoon, you can learn Ksuvim. And we know Shmuel's following his general accepted opinion, because in Nahardai we know they used to read Ksuvim on Mincha of Shabbos. I'm not the time of the Drosha, again the Drosha was before lunch. Very similar to we have in our communities, you have a Drosha, you have time, you have learning after the brocha, and then you go home to have lunch. So you wouldn't be allowed to learn Ksuvim instead of going to the drosha. You're not allowed to go learn uh, Megillas Rus or say Tehillim or uh, learn Mishle. You have to go to the drosha. And, uh, but, yeah, um, 
But in the afternoon, then you can. Just be, yeah, let's just finish the sugi, then I'll tell you something interesting. Ravashi, Ravashi says, no. As we quoted, the Machloikes originally is true. I, Rav says the difference is, is it at the time of learning or is it not at the time of learning? That determines whether you can read Silvim or not. And, uh, and Shmuel that said it's also even not at the time of learning. Shmuel was just explaining the reason of Rabbi Nehemiah. So even though you're not allowed to read in the Kisvei Kodesh, but you're allowed to learn and give droshes based in them. Nitrach lip. And if you need to quote a posuk, you can bring the sefer, the ksuvim, and read from it to quote the posuk accurately. Why does it say Rabbi Nachemia says no? What's the reason you're not allowed to read Kisvei Kodesh? If you're not allowed to read Kisvei Kodesh, you're definitely not allowed to read Shtarei Joytas. Before we come to discuss what Shtarei Joytas is, um, so what's Rabashi saying? Shmuel, there's actually a machlokes tanaim. Why you're not allowed to read Ksuvim on Shabbos? The Tanakam of Al Mishnah holds the concern is that you'll miss the Drosha. You're going to get, you'd rather read uh, Mishnah, you'd rather read Tehillim, and therefore you're going to miss the Drosha. So they wanted you to go to the Drosha, and therefore they said you're not allowed to read Ksuvim. And therefore, and this is how they paskid Idna Hardai, and this is how Rav paskid. Therefore, when it's not the time of the Drosha after lunch, you can read Ksuvim. Rav Shmuel and Achmeni had a whole different reason, and this is what Rav. Uh, Sorry, not Rav Shmuel Ban Achmeini. Yeah, Rav um, Nechemia, Rabbi Nechemia had a whole different shot. Rabbi Nechemia held that no, the reason you're not allowed to read in Suvim is so that people say, oh, if I'm not allowed to read Suvim, I'm not allowed to read Shtarei Hedjotos. What is um, Suvim? Uh, sorry, what is Shtarei Hedjotos? So Rashi says Shtarei Hedjotos is letters. You're not allowed to read letters on Shabbos. Um, Shtoisa say that can't be because we know everyone always reads letters on Shabbos and he says there's two reasons he says um, firstly if you know what's in them what, what, when, what, sorry what are Shtar Hejotas and documents to do with business I'm not allowed to read your accounts your bank statements your business uh, proposals, those are the Shtare Hejotas, that's what you're not allowed to read on Shabbos. But regular letters, well, if you know what's in them, then you're most likely allowed to read them. You know, it's just a letter from your friend, it's a letter from your pen pal, telling, you know, saying what's up and what's going on in his life and stuff. Okay, then you're allowed to read it. And if you don't know what's in it, well, then it might be Pikoach Nefesh, so you're definitely allowed to read it. So that's how Tosis learned, but Shtare Hejotas would be uh, documents to do with business calculations, accounting, etc. So that's what you're not allowed to read, and that's the Shtare Hejotas. Um, just the interest, so I wanted to mention um, something. Oh, there's a special dimension of learning Torah on Shabbos. We get caught up in the, in the Seudos and the Brochas and the socializing, but there's a very special dimension of learning Torah on Shabbos. It's brought in the tour. I think it's from the Yerushalmi. But it says everything has a partner in the creation except me. Shabbat says, except me, I don't have a partner. So Hashem says, your partner will be Torah. The Torah that the Jews sit and learn on Shabbos. 
So uh, we must put, we must make sure to put in effort at least to attend the. I mean, now we can't say attend the droshas, but to make sure to do at least some learning, if not all of learning. Some hold you're obligated to spend half your Shabbos hours on learning. I mean, the most lenient is say, let's take out the time it takes, the sleeping time, and let's take out the. Well, let me say it like this: you should theoretically be spending at least the amount of time you spend eating and socializing. You should. Try, I mean, theoretically, I don't think many people manage this, but spend that amount of time learning Torah on Shabbos. Probably works out to about uh, six hours or so. Um, if only we all managed to learn six hours um, on Shabbos. Part of the reason is during the rest of the week, everyone's too busy to spend so much time learning. But on Shabbos, <laughs> it shouldn't be like that. Um, so that's uh, one thing about learning Torah. They bring, yeah, it's quite, they bring uh, serious... Uh, Musar against those who miss the droshes, the public droshes that they used to hold on Shabbos and go and do and eat their suudos, etc., instead of attending the drosha. Okay, that's uh, yeah, that's uh, Shabbos and learning Torah. New Mishnah. We're carrying on with the discussion of what you're allowed to save from a fire on Shabbos. We still haven't discussed that you that there are things you're not allowed to save, but let's just assume at the moment we're discussing a special heter that these things you are allowed to save from a fire. And we said a second point is not only, as we'll see in this mission, not only allowed to save them from a fire, you're allowed to carry them into a into a mabu that doesn't have a proper eruv. Says matzilin tik. So we're carrying on with that discussion. Matzilin tik sefer im sefer v'tik tefillin im atfillin. You're allowed to save the sefer, the tanach with the bag it's in. And you're allowed to save the tefillin with the bag it's in. Even if you have money in them. I generally money's is and you wouldn't be allowed to. But if you have money in your tefillin bag, then you would be allowed to do that. I mean, an interesting discussion. You're not really allowed to have money in your tefillin bag. So maybe it's a bag that's just uh, for your tefillin that you always kept for money and you just kept your tefillin in it as well or something like that. But you're allowed to save this bag with your tefillin in even though there's money in it. Well, where you're allowed to save it to? To a mabu that isn't even open, that's not closed on three sides. And Ben says you're even allowed to save it to a mabu that's open Open. Remember, mabui that's closed on three sides, so you're allowed to carry into it. Then any mabui you should be allowed to, but especially ones that mafulash. But we'll discuss this line more in the Gemara. Tonura bonan. We learned in a brisa. Arbosor shechol. We're going to. You'll see why we bring this piece in. But this piece is now discussing when Pesach falls out. When erev Pesach falls out on Shabbos, we know you still have to do the korban Pesach, even though large parts of preparing the korban. Chattas are Isurei Melocha. But the Torah about it overrides Shabbos. So you shech the Koban Pesach. We're now going to learn about skinning the Koban Pesach. The 14th of Nisan that falls out on Shabbos. says, You're only allowed to flay it up until the chest. Remember, you hang the animal by its hind legs and you flay it down starting at there. So you can only flay it down to the chest of the animal. The reason is because then you can cut open the animal, take out the emurim, the parts of the animal that are supposed to go on the Mizbeach. says, The Chachomim come along and say, You can flay, you can skin the whole animal. It makes sense according to because you're doing 
the work for Hashem. This that you flaying the animal just until the chest is because that's what you need to flay the animal to get the Emurim out. So it's all part of the avoider for Hashem. According to the rabbis, why are you allowed to go and flay the rest of the animal? Again, flaying the why would you what's the purpose? You should wait till Pesach night. And then you should flay the rest for when you want to eat the common Pesach. But the motivation of flaying the rest of the animal from the chest uh, down, hanging the animal up to down from the chest down, is just to uh, for Achila, which is not for Gavoah. So Omer Rabbi Babachan, Omer Rabbi Yochanan, to Omer Kro Rabbachan, is his name of Rabbi Yochanan, it's based on the following Apostle, Kol Pohan Hashem Lemanehu, all work for Hashem for His sake. Ah, you can do Isurim if it's for Hashem. Oh, what's this for Hashem? Didn't we say it's for eating and it's for yourself? Rabbi Yosef, Omer Shalom Yasriach. Rabbi Yosef says, no, it's so that it doesn't rot. Or start to smell bad. That you don't leave Kodshe Shomayim hanging like a Nevela. The, the first answer, Rav Yosef, is that if you leave the skin on the animal, it seems to cause some sort of heat and it starts to smell. So you can't have your carbon Pesach starting to smell. So therefore you're allowed to flay the whole animal. According to Rava, no, if you just leave the korban hanging there the whole day, half flayed, it's like an availer that you discarded. Again, not an appropriate way to leave your korban. says, my benay, what difference does it make? So, ika benay, the malacha putra dahaba. A difference could be if you placed it on a golden plate. Well, then it's not like an availer anymore, but it still might start to smell. Inami, yumid astana, or the day of the cool north wind. Where it won't start to smell, but it still looks like an availer. So, that's the difference between them. But, so, so that's the reason of the Chachamim why you're allowed to flay the whole animal. What does he do with this posset that implies you're allowed to flay the rest, um, that we said implies you're allowed to flay the whole animal? No, he says that posset is coming to tell us that you don't have to take out the insides that you burn on the Mizbech before skinning it. I, you might have thought that you make an incision through the heart, open it, take out the innards for the Mizbech, before you skin it at all, and only skin it that night. So he says, this possible is coming to tell us, you don't have to do that. My timer, why is it for Hashem? So I'm going to break the Rav Nason, Mishum Nimin, because of the hair. The wool of the animal will get caught in the Emurim, and then it's just not a nice uh, way to present the offering to Hashem. Okay, so you're allowed to flay the animal. So it's a machlokes, how much of the animal you're allowed to flay. According to Rabbi Shmuel, Benosha Rabbi Yochanan and Broker, only just past where the abdomen up until the chest, where you can get out the emurim. According to Rabbonin, you can flay the whole animal because it's all for the animals, for the sake of the korban, so that it's not left there like a half discarded nevela, or so that it's not left, uh, or that it doesn't start to smell. But Omar, is the Omar Maruk for Maya Rabbi Yishmuel ben Oishel Rabbi Yochanan ben Broika. How did the sages respond to Rabbi Yishmuel ben Oishel Rabbi Yochanan ben Broika? Rabbi Yishmuel ben Oishel Rabbi Yochanan ben Broika has a brilliant way of learning. He says, really, I would have thought all you're allowed to do is make an incision in the heart, open the animal and take out the emurim. The emurim are the parts of the animal that you burn on the mizbeach. So that's what I would have thought you're allowed to do. Comes along the pasuk and says, no, you're allowed to do anything if it's for the sake of Hashem. Oh, so now I'm allowed to flay it up until the chest, so that the emurim come out without all hair tangled, excuse me, all hair tangled in them, etc. So that's for the sake of Hashem. How do the rabbis respond? Because they took it a whole new step. 
She's not hachi kamerlei. In matzilim tik ha seifer im ha seifer loy nifshel tesapesach meora. If you're allowed to take out the bag with the seifer in it, are you not allowed to flay the whole pesach from his skin? And what they're saying is, when you're allowed to take out this bag that you have your seifer Torah in, which also has money in. You're, since you're working for Hashem, you're saving the Sefer Torah from the fire, you're also allowed to save the money, which is for yourself. Because it's the same time. The same act. So he wants to say the same thing. Just as you're allowed to flay the animal for the korban, you're also allowed to finish flaying the animal to save um, for yourself. I Once you're doing the act for Hashem, you can include what's done for yourself as well. So that's their response to Rabbi Yochanan ben Broika. So the Gemara answers, Me, Tommy, how can you compare them? Hasam tiltul, hacham alocha. What's the Isra of moving money on Shabbos? It's the Isra Drabonan of Muktza. So the rabbis, so there we allow Muktza. But here to skin an animal on Shabbos is the Isra Doraisa. It's one of the 39 malochas to skin an animal. So how can you compare them? So that can't be the response. Um, and we'll leave the way the Gomorrah has to learn the response for tomorrow. We'll finish the sugya up. We'll finish the sugya tomorrow. Okay.